This podcast is released at 4pm every weekday. To make sure you get it on time, subscribe through your favourite provider. And we'd love a rating too. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Free broadband for everyone. That's what Labour's selling. But actually, is the price too high? There are huge logistical, administrative, financial, industrial problems that will make it a really, really difficult thing to to put into practice. The Standard's Jonathan Prynne on a nationalisation plan this newspaper thinks would harm us all. Also... To me, the, the Royal Parks are as special the place in London as you can find anywhere. And really, you don't want to have the Chelsea tractors, the taxis, the vans whizzing past you. We take a walk in the park with City Hall editor Ross Lydell. Should cars be banned from the Royal Parks? And... Jaden Sancho, who's been playing at Borussia Dortmund, it's great to see someone who's playing away from the English game, learning his trade elsewhere, bringing that back to the English team, so he's been superb. Deputy Digital Sports Editor Tom Dutton on why we should all be looking forward to Euro 2020. Now England have emphatically qualified. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the true cost of Labour's free broadband offer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Labour's offer of free broadband to the country came as a jolt to the election, a bit like when your Netflix stream's been buffering for ages and it restarts at a really loud bid. A Labour government will make broadband free for everybody. (laughs) And not just any broadband, but the very fastest full fibre broadband to every home in every part of our country. It's made a lot of noise, but after initial excitement from many came a lot of questions, and the Evening Standard doesn't like what's being offered. As with most policies that involve voters seemingly being offered something for nothing, it is entirely misconceived and impractical. It amounts to an idea that would inflict catastrophic harm. Labour says that speeding up the introduction of superfast broadband would cost £20 billion. The public would pay. 
either directly through the compensation paid to shareholders or indirectly through a hit to BT's share value and the pension funds that invest in the company. That is bad enough, but Labour's plans would be disastrous for this country's tech sector and frighten off investors, including many from overseas. None of this is to say, of course, that more should not be done to speed up the provision of full fibre services, but Labour's plan is not the way to achieve it. Our consumer business editor, Jonathan Prenn, is here. Jonathan, what's being offered by Labour? So Labour are saying today that they will uh, nationalise, take back into government ownership the part of or the parts of BT that are responsible for rolling out the uh, the fibre um, that will give households very high speed uh, access to broadband. They say it will save um, the average household thirty pounds a month. From consumer perspective, I'd imagine that's probably quite attractive to a lot of people. Yes, of course. People will jump on that, I'm sure. However, there are there are huge logistical, administrative, financial, industrial problems, a lot of which have already started being flagged up today, um, that will make it a really, really difficult thing to, to put into practice. Yeah, Labour have costed this at $20 billion. Yes. However... You know, BT itself and others have said it will be considerably more than yeah. that, haven't they? They have. And in fact, the, the head of BT went on, on the radio this morning and immediately said, well, look, it's going to be closer to 100, we think, on their sort of back of the envelope calculations. The renationalisation or the, the part renationalisation of a company like BT that has to be extraordinarily difficult, <laughs> I thought. It is. Well, I mean, apart from anything else, BT, which, um, as you know, was was privatised in 1984, when over a million people, uh, small investors mainly, came in and bought shares from the government. Now, a lot of those people are still sitting there on, on the share register uh, 35 years on. Uh, and in fact, BT has 829,000 individual or separate shareholders. The vast majority of them are those small investors, many of which date back to, to 1984. They're just the sheer mechanics of unpicking that uh, and bringing all those shares back into, into public ownership and then repaying all those people, compensating all those people with gilts, which is what I think they're, they're suggesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, mammoth, costly operation. And actually, broadband is paying for BT's pensions. Well, exactly. I mean, the profits from, from broadband are a big contributor to the BT Pension Fund, which is one of the, the biggest corporate pension funds in the country. And there are, there are genuine concerns already being flagged up that without that revenue stream, um, the, the pension fund will be left much weaker, underfunded. And what implications does that have for... Uh, former BT employees. Next. London's royal parks are there for everyone to escape the hustle and bustle of the city. Why are cars still allowed to drive through them? And will that be stopped? London's eight royal parks create 5,000 acres of green space in one of the busiest cities in the world. There's supposed to be somewhere to relax and unwind, but in rush hour, even these refuges can't escape rat-running commuter drivers. 
And now managers are set to ban motorists after a public consultation showed massive support for traffic restrictions. The standard approves. We agree, not just because of the worryingly high levels of pollution which already blight some of the eight parks, but because these wonderful spaces should be a place in which the public can enjoy peaceful respite from the otherwise frantic pace of life in this city. Managing this is obviously much harder when cars are roaring past. The details of how to achieve change now need to be worked out, and consideration will have to be given to where any displaced traffic will go. But we look forward to the day when Londoners can enjoy their royal parks in even greater glory. We've managed to get out of the newsroom and we've gone to Kensington Gardens, not far from the Albert Memorial, where I'm joined by our City Hall editor, Ross Lydell. Ross, tell us how far we've got along this process now. We're probably about halfway through the whole process, really. It started earlier this year when the Royal Parks, the charity that runs these eight fabulous parks, came up with the idea of restricting through traffic in places like Regent's Park, Richmond Park and so on. It then put this out to public consultation and today in the evening stand of the reporting that almost 80% of Londoners who responded, 7,000 people did take the time to respond, agree with the Royal Parks that something should be done to stop commuters rat running as we term it through these parks. That's a lot of people. It must be quite a big problem. It's a really big issue in Richmond where the park is so big that it's uh, that the roads through the park enable people to move around southwest London and it's also a big issue in Regent's Park where the area certainly around the mosque and the US ambassador's residence through from St. offers taxi drivers in particular a really good cut through route between St John's Wood and the centre of town. Now there are obviously safety issues but there's just the general enjoyment of a park isn't there when there's traffic running through it you can't find a moment's quiet peace in some of these parks sometimes. Well that's right you know here we are in um, Kensington Gardens as you say we're less than 100 metres away from High Street Kensington really but it's a completely different world here it's a beautiful place you know to me the, the Royal Parks are as special the place in London as you can find anywhere and really you don't want to have the Chelsea tractors, the taxis, the vans whizzing past you and putting you in danger, putting children in danger, putting cyclists and walkers and dogs in danger. And that's really what the Royal Parks is trying to achieve here. It's trying to preserve these parks as sort of great havens and sort of escapes from crazy city life. And it's recognising really that traffic really doesn't really have a place in that, certainly in the heart of the parks. Yes, to allowing people to get to the park, but not to get through the parks. Now, England's 7-0 victory over Montenegro brought qualification for next summer's Euro 2020 tournament. Some of the group games will be played at Wembley, which will also host the semi-finals and final. From our audio news team, here's Ross Powell on why it's an exciting prospect for all to relish. It's official. England are heading to Euro 2020. After a thoroughly convincing 7-0 win over Montenegro in their final home qualifier, manager Gareth Southgate reflected on what's been a dominant campaign. We've totally taken teams apart. Matches that in the past have been problematic for, for England teams where teams have defended deep in numbers and been stubborn. Because of our speed movement, we've carved those teams apart. England have a youthful look about them these days with several of the regular starters in their early 20s or late teens. 
The Evening Standard's Deputy Digital Sports Editor, Tom Dusson, thinks there are several emerging stars among them. Specifically focusing on last night, I think Ben Chilwell was brilliant. He's been brilliant for Leicester and it's great to see uh, his progression. The likes of Jaden Sancho, who's been playing at Borussia Dortmund, it's great to see someone who's playing away from the English game, learning his trade elsewhere, bringing that back to the English team. So he's been superb. Tammy Abraham only just starting to break through but he's had a brilliant season at Chelsea so far. The European Championships have a very different dynamic to them next summer with the games being played all over Europe. Wembley will host both semi-finals and the final itself as well as some of the group matches while stadiums in Copenhagen, Bucharest and even Baku in Azerbaijan will play host to a set of group fixtures. So what are England's chances of actually winning? Okay honest thoughts I think that England will perhaps reach the semi-final. I don't think what we've got is the best team in Europe. I think on its day it could be any team in Europe for sure. Perhaps we should be looking ahead to Qatar 2022 for a shot at glory. But as far as I'm concerned for this tournament, I think just a bit too early for this young team, but definitely capable of beating any team on their day and I'd predict a run to the semi-finals. Well, whether England are crowned European champions or are once again valiant semi-finalists next summer, we'll have all the build-up to the tournaments online at standard.co.uk and in the paper. And you can get more from our audio news team every weekday with our morning bulletins for smart speakers released at 7am. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. That's the leader for this week. If you've missed an episode, they're all still available. Why not go back and listen to our analysis of the Trump impeachment hearing from our correspondent in the US? So to make sure you don't miss a thing, subscribe through your favourite podcast provider. We'll be back on Monday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.